From my apartment in Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From my apartment in Jersey City, I'm Erica Ducey. And in my house in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, you're in a basement, right? That's true. I am, Well, no, I'm not below ground. I am just on a ground floor, <laughs> uh, relatively dark space with a poster of Godzilla. Do you have a basement? No. So Okay, so this is really funny. So... My wife, who's from Wisconsin, is constantly amazed at how um, rare it is to find houses with uh, basements in the in the Northwest, in the on the West Coast, really in general. And I, I will be totally honest. Um, any explanation I would give for that is going to be largely, you know, conjecture or possibly made up. But but the two that I've heard that make the most sense are that they there's a there's an issue with in terms of getting um, like earthquake insurance, which is obviously a consideration for a lot of the West coast. Uh, if you have a basement, I guess for some reason that's considered more dangerous or whatever, or, or just actually not really more dangerous to people. It's really just about how likely it is that your house will collapse. And then the insurance company will have to give you a lot of money. Um, so they won't insure you or you have a much higher premium if you have a basement. And I also think like here, at least in this, in the Pacific Northwest, it's so wet. Like my dad actually has a basement in his house and it has flooded I don't even know how many times um, over the years. And so it's just kind of like you either can have like an unfinished kind of like, you know, (laughs) basement slash occasional waiting pool or you can or you can not. And so we do not. Uh, I guess I'd always had the understanding like the reason so much really good indie rock came out of Portland was because like everyone had basements and they could just like go hang in each other's basements and make music. But maybe that was just like a like a romantic idea that like actually wasn't true. It was just like what us music industry people used to say. <laughs> I just assume it's like, it's in general, you can't go outside for most of the, for much of the winter. So you have nothing to do, but play music. So like, you know, you just kind of end up cooped up and, and playing music and, you know, probably driving your, uh, your family and friends uh, crazy, which, so it's like, you know, kind of like the Pacific Northwest, we're already sort of quasi used to quarantine because it's yeah. uh, so rainy for a lot of the year. So I wonder if some good music's going to come out of this whole thing. That's why there's a lot of coffee shops there too. People just need to keep keep sure. on going through the 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 really rainy, cruddy times. So when I was growing up in Seattle, I, I remember a lot of coffee and a lot of rec rooms. So the the rec rooms with the shag carpeting that was pretty big, with some spare instruments in there for sure. So so how are you both doing? Good, good. I mean, hanging in there. You know, I, I think every some days are good, some days are bad. It's a little tough. I mean, I have to say, um, I have to say that these creative projects we've been doing with cocktails and kind of playing around with some of the the cocktail templates and ideas have kind of kept me, you know, like feeling like I have a bit of a creative outlet. Um, this week I was playing with a martini. So, you know, some people love their martinis really dry and, uh, some people like them, the classic ratio. So two to one gin to vermouth, but I've been experimenting with a 50, 50. So that's, you know, 50%, uh, gin and 50% vermouth. I've been playing with this Freeland spirits, uh, some women distillers in, um, Portland, really amazing gin. Um, it's a kind of black pepper, more savory, some coriander character. And I've been pairing that with a Dolan dry and then doing a little bit of olive brine. And so with a twist and an olive, and I got to say that has been helping me through some of the tougher days here. (laughs) That's interesting. You know, I, I've, I've, I've had the 50, 50 a few times. I haven't gotten into it um, yet. I find it to be quite a wet cocktail. Um, and I feel like sometimes the vermouth can overpower the gin. Um, but I know it's like a lot of people are like really into it because it is lower alk and you can drink more than one of them, which is not a bad thing in these, in these times. 
This is true. And I'm, I'm with Zach. Like, Zach, last week you were talking about um, doing the vermouth with uh, some, like, making it kind of a long drink. So vermouth as the base and then some soda water, maybe even, you know, sparkling wine as um, as a splash in there. And that's that's something that I really like as well. I'm just a big fan of vermouth. I always have been. I've been writing about vermouth for, like, years and years and years. I've just always loved it. <laughs> and Zach, what about you, man? Well, so I've had my one little bit of uh, cocktail experimentation myself, which has been uh, since I, like everyone else, have lots of canned things lying around, including chickpeas or garbanzo beans, however you prefer. Uh, I had heard for years that, uh, you know, you could take the liquid uh, from your can of chickpeas, which is called aquafaba, and use it as an egg white replacement in cocktails. And so I've been, again, kind of like, well, you know, might as well try it out. Now's a great time. I've got uh, cans of chickpeas. My son is obsessed with them right now. and. Um, and also time. And so I have to say, I think it's a, I, I, I'm still, I'm still nowhere near mastering the technique. It's a, I feel like the shake is a little different than with an egg white, or at least I'm not getting the kind of results that I was hoping for. It's also really interesting because there, there's definitely a flavor mm-hmm. uh, that it imparts to the cocktail. And I think you, it means that you have to be a little more uh, kind of thoughtful about when and where you deploy something like um, aquafaba as an, as an emulsifier in your cocktail, as opposed to, egg whites which are also have a flavor um but i think is a little more neutral and a little easier to pair with a lot of different cocktails so i found really interestingly that um it does really it does well with um sort of savory cocktail elements so uh it does well reasonably well with gin it does reasonably well with like on bitter side of amari and and other things it doesn't do well with sweetness though has been my experience you get a weird to me kind of like sweet and salty but not in a like i like that combo often but but it just i, I haven't found the combo that works as well with like um some brown spirits i'm, I'm gonna try uh this evening i think uh, uh something with rum um or uh, something in that vein to see if that kind of slightly different side of of sweet works better i don't know i'm, I'm still kind of figuring it out but but i've been playing around with it because what else am i doing my else yeah i mean i it's like I, I actually wrote about it um in a in a column recently uh for the site in the ask adam column um I find it to be it never foams in the way like in the way that I want it to in the way that egg whites do right it's like doesn't get that really beautifully dense and sort of like luscious sort of foam in the cocktail and I think you're right there is a there's an I mean there's also often a smell with the egg white but not in an off-putting way like I've actually found that like the aquafaba can have this really weird smell to it that like it's very odd in the cocktail. So like I've basically come to terms with like if you should only use it if you're a vegan, right? Like if you're a vegan and you are really interested in still having like a classic uh, you know, whiskey sour or something like that, right? Like go all go all in on the aquafaba. But if you're not, uh, you should probably stick to egg white. That's that's like been my <laughs> general conclusion. Cause it is, it's an it's an odd ingredient that I know we all like because it can be that substitute, but like it just doesn't do for me the same thing that I think uh, egg whites can do. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yeah. Well, let's jump into today's topic. So um, we decided, I mean, this week was sort of talking about the idea of simple drinks. So basically, uh, but, you know, we, we've been chatting this offline, um, but there have been a lot of people saying that, like, they've been returning to the idea of simple drinks, right? So like drinks they don't have to think too much about, drinks that just sort of are are there to comfort them. Um and so my sort of challenge to to us today is like what does what is a simple drink? Is there anything as a simple drink, right? Like is it actually and it's actually an insult to call a drink simple. So I'll start off by saying like I actually think 
there isn't such a thing as a simple drink. There could be a simple drink in terms of a drink that's simple to make. But in my mind, calling a drink simple is kind of an insult. Um, so like what makes one drink? So what I'm, I'm supposed to say that like, oh, Pais is so simple. It's so easy to understand because it's just bright and refreshing or, or gamay, if you will, or something, right? You can see people say that a lot, but that, oh, you know, Barolo or Bordeaux, those are complex wines. Those are wines that you really have to think about. I would argue that you think about all the wines that you drink. I would argue that you think about all the cocktails that you drink. Even when I'm drinking like a Modelo, I'm still thinking like, damn, this is refreshing. And it's simple in the fact that like, that's what I wanted right now. But I think there's this weird idea that like some drinks are then, at least the way that I hear the term utilized, the drinks are simple and therefore more basic. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I'm thinking of a simple drink, I'm thinking of something that's like a base spirit and a few simple mixers or modifiers. So I'm generally thinking like, you know, it's something that I probably have in my pantry at home. It's maybe one of the easy templates, like a sour or a highball or like an old fashioned, something that I can make myself. But that when I'm going to a cocktail bar, you know, I actually generally am not ordering those type of what I would consider simpler drinks because I want to see what a bartender can do. And I'm excited about kind of the barrel aged, you know, uh, thing that they've got going on, or maybe they've got some like unusual liqueurs that I maybe wouldn't have access to. So I can see uh, in that way, I when I'm thinking of simple, I'm thinking of like, it's something that I can make at home. It's, it's pretty easy. But I do see that it could be, you know, a knock against a lot of things. I mean, for I think, for example, you could consider hard seltzer to be simple. And the way that I'd think about it in that usage is, it's kind of an alcohol delivery system, right? It's like, I mean, it's it's like kind of non-offensive. It maybe doesn't taste so, um, you know, like it, it's it's not something that you're going to be drinking necessarily for the flavor, but just because you want something easy that'll give you a buzz and probably doesn't have that many calories. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of like a simple drink. Yeah, I think there's important to kind of differentiate here the difference between simple as a description for the, the what it goes into making the drink itself and simple in terms of the experience of drinking it if that makes sense so so a gin and tonic is a functionally simple drink you put gin in a glass you put tonic in a glass you maybe put a you know a lime wedge in a glass you put some ice in there you know it's a drink that pretty much anyone can make and and therefore on, on sort of one level it's it's very simple um that said, you know, understanding um, the flavors going on in a good gin and tonic with a complex gin, a well-made tonic, that's the opposite of a simple drink. There's a lot of complexity there. So so I think part of it is just, and I come across this a lot in wine in general, that the English language is unfortunately imprecise when it comes to describing the things we want to describe. And so we use the term simple to mean a lot of different things. And in this case, I think it, it, the use of the term does kind of... Um, create a lot of confusion. So so I will I will say that I, I'm very much with Erica on the side of, you know, simple as a descriptor for the the what goes into making the drink as being something that yeah that, that right, some right but, but guys that's not what I'm saying. So I think you guys are misunderstanding me. So I've already said at the beginning of my comments that I'm not talking about drinks being simple in terms of simple ingredients. The way I'm seeing it used by a lot of professionals is simple in terms of I don't have to think. So that's that's where I'm having issue with the term. So my issue with the term has nothing to do with saying that like this was a simple wine because I don't know it has one varietal in it or this was a simple cocktail because it's a two ingredient cocktail. My issue is that I'm seeing lots of people saying they want to go back to simple drinks they don't have to think about. And that I think is where I'm having 
where I think there's there's that's kind of bullshit, right? So that's that's sort of where, where I was hoping to drive the conversation was like, it, are there so many are there drinks out there that you guys actually believe you don't have to think about that are, are truly just alcohol delivery systems? Because if you believe that, then you then you could basically say that like I don't know a, a lot of the stuff we talk about like seltzer etc is is void, right? Because those are simple drinks to a lot of people. Those are drinks or Modelo or certain wines that you don't age for very long and are refreshing or certain like swizzle cocktails. Right? I would argue that you think about all of those. So therefore they're not simple, but the, I mean, but again, like that's just my opinion. Well, I'm just wondering if people are using simple to think more along the lines of like easy drinking crowd pleaser sort of cocktails. Like I've seen this debate happening on Instagram too, where I've seen some bartenders saying, you know, um, hey, bartenders out there, like I see you doing a lot of simple drinks and like show some complexity here. But my argument to that would be that, you know, people don't have those ingredients. People, you know, bartenders who are giving quote unquote simple drinks are doing it out of service to, um, you know, to people who have probably not a lot of stuff in their home bars. But I'm wondering if if it's just um, another term that's being used to convey, like, you know, you mentioned Gamay and Pais, those are pretty like crowd pleasing, easy to drink, like, you know, you'd have them at a backyard or on a rooftop, and you wouldn't have to really have much conversation about it. So I'm thinking it's more being used in terms of that context. Well, I think it's instructive here to think about what you know food in in some cases, and I don't think any of us would argue that some foods are, I guess, simpler in that they again don't necessarily require or or even merit a whole lot of thought when you're eating them. Like a thing I really love when I go to a cocktail party, and this is like super simple. I really like shrimp cocktail. Like it's it's, but I would never call a shrimp cocktail like the dish that is going to like make you think twice about i don't know shellfish or cocktail sauce or something and, uh, and similarly well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Well, might, might, might be your first time you're like wow this stuff is delicious sure and but i mean i guess that's my point is like when i think when i use the term when i would use the term simple to describe something like a wine or a cocktail in, in the on the sort of taste side i would be talking about something with relatively limited complexity and and in that in that I mean, there's not necessarily a lot of flavors. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, over the course of the time that you are drinking it, whether that's um, the the amount of time that you, from when you put the drink in your mouth to when you swallow it or, or finish tasting it, or from when you open the bottle to when you finish the bottle or whatever, there's not much that happens. The, that what you taste on that first initial uh, sip is going to be what you're going to taste every subsequent sip. And that uh, what you taste at the beginning of the sip is what you're going to taste when you finish. And that's not none of that is bad. I think that's what's important here. But it is meaningful to say that a wine has, or, or a cocktail or a beer, is simple or is straightforward or has relatively limited complexity because some wines, cocktails, and beers don't. And to say that you prefer one or the other is, again, not necessarily a statement of absolute value. It's just to note that if you open a bottle, to compare your bottle of relatively straightforward Beaujolais to, say, um, even a Cru Beaujolais or from there, um, you know, Barolo, Barbaresco, you know, Burgundy, whatever comparison you want to use of a complex wine, it is a fundamentally different experience to drink those two things. And it's not to say one is better or worse. There are times when I want both of those things, but but they are different. And and I think that we sometimes get to this place in 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 uh, drinks. And I think it's I think there's a good um, 
there's good intention behind this, but it can be a little uh, over the top, which is like, we don't want to tell anyone that anything they like isn't the greatest. And and that's fine. And I don't want to tell people what they should or shouldn't drink. I think that's a really noble uh, thing to, to consider is to not make someone feel bad for liking what they like. But it is okay to say there are differences in these things, that these two things are not the same, that they have different qualities in the same way that we wouldn't claim that an IPA and a Pilsner are taste the same. They're different. And we, that doesn't mean that if one is lighter and one is more full bodied that one is better and one is worse they might be preferable at different times and same too with this the same too with simple or complex drinks sometimes you want a beer a wine a cocktail that's going to really make you think that has a lot of flavor that might develop over time and sometimes you just want to have something in your glass that you can taste and enjoy it you like the way it tastes and you know that every sip every can every bottle every whatever is going to taste the same and that's cool too but see but here's the problem so first of all the two beers you used are, as examples, both aren't simple beers. But if you were to say to a brewer, this lager is simple, they'd lose their shit on you, right? Or if you were to say to a winemaker, oh, I love this wine, it's really simple, they would lose their shit, right? So I like don't that, know that that's true. I think that's true. Have you ever sat down with a winemaker and said to a winemaker that you thought the wine was simple? Because I guarantee you, you haven't. I've had winemakers tell me that their wine is simple because that's what they're trying to make. They know that, you know, if someone is trying to sell you a $200 bottle of wine and they say, and you say, oh, this is a pretty simple wine, they're going to be pissed. But but there are pe- there's a place in the world, people who are making wine that sells for $10, $12, $15 a bottle, many of them know that what they're making is something that offers you know, not the most complexity. And that's not what they're trying to do because they know there's a huge market for wine that people can just taste and enjoy and appreciate. And it isn't going to necessarily be this thing that people are going to age or that they're going to, you know, sit and, and sort of pontificate about. It's just wine that people like. And that and there's lots of winemakers who are super happy to be making that. They're not, not every single person gets into this for some sort of, you know, grand ego stroking. You must venerate me and tell me that everything I make is the greatest thing ever. Some of them are happy to make straightforward, simple, easy to appreciate, beer, wine, whatever. I mean, I, I'm interested to hear what Eric has to say here because in my experience, I've never had a winemaker tell me their wine was simple, even when their wine was an 8 to $10 retail bottle or a beer. They always think their wine still has complexity or their beer has complexity because they were involved in making it. They were involved in... It, it's it's like, I don't know, it, it, the way I think about it with any of these alcohol products, right? And the person that produced it or an artist, you tell them that their art is simple or writing, you tell them the writer is simple. It's like, could you imagine going to a parent and telling them that you thought their child was simple? I mean, they, they've, they've been involved in making it this entire time. Like, I am shocked that someone has said that to you because if I knew of a parent that walked to me and was like, yeah, my kid's pretty simple. I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. Just because that it's it, it that's that's my issue with the word. The word I think is seen by most people as an insult. I don't necessarily 100% agree with it, but that's why I want to have the discussion because like it is this word that a lot of people use to insult different drinks. I mean, I think if you look at tasting notes, right? If you look at a winery's tasting notes and it's something like a bottle that is retailing for under $10, I think you can pick that up from the uh, tasting notes. So even from a brand, like what they're saying, they're saying sometimes they'll they'll use terms in their marketing that's like cheap and cheerful or like crowd pleaser or like, you know, porch pounder or those sorts of things. And, um, and when they're describing the wine as fruity <laughs> and it's not it's not telling you is it red fruit or or black fruit or you know what types of citrus i mean they know it's kind of fruity and it may be like dry or off dry i think when they're using pretty vague descriptors they're getting at the idea that it's not super specific or complex and it's 
going to be a crowd pleaser that you'll be able to take to a potluck and feel fine about. So, I mean, I think in that way, it's, uh, it's, it's a fine to call, I would say, I think it's fine to call certain wines or certain cocktails simple and that I wouldn't necessarily take it as an, as an insult. And I think if I were a winemaker who was making a lot of more commercially oriented wines, and I knew that really they're kind of on the, you know, low to middle shelf of uh, the grocery store, I, I, you know, maybe that's one end of the range of wines that I'm making. But then at the on the top of the shelf, you've got those, you know, more expensive wines that are going to yield much more and uh, develop in the glass and like have much more of a expression and sort of story that they're telling um, in the bottle. But some wines are just not that way. And some some beers are not that way. And some cocktails are not that way. I think it's, you know, they each have a kind of a different utility. And there's a utility in simple. Okay, I can see that. Zach, what do you think? Well, so I think there's two things going on here. One is that there, there's, there's no doubt that you know most winemakers, most I'm sure brewers, distillers, etc. You know, they think about all that goes into making a product, and if they're, and if they're making something that has you know a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of you know their own interest and investment and passion that goes into it, then of course, yes, they're not necessarily going to to look at their the process of making whatever it is that they're making as simple. It, it's, it's involved in a lot of ways, but a lot of them are also, you know, they, they understand, you know, they, they, the good ones certainly, you know, understand that there is a, a range of not, and again, I want to divorce this, this part of the conversation from a discussion of quality. Cause I don't necessarily think that's totally fair because I think some of the wines and, and beers and cocktails that I've loved a lot uh, are not necessarily things I would describe as complex. Sometimes simple is really a, a delightful thing in, in the same way it is, with food or or even with you know uh, entertainment or whatever and at, so i think that there's the one hand you're right they, like it, producers generally do not like to downplay what they do some of them are are you know kind of overly humble but a lot of them you know are going to take credit for the work they do but it doesn't mean that those of us who are not producers can't be honest with ourselves and with our audience and say okay well yeah every single person who makes a bottle of wine thinks their bottle of wine is good but they're not all good like that's just the honest truth and every single person might think that what they're doing is is complex and not all of it is and and that's okay and and it doesn't mean that the non-complex wines are bad i want to reiterate that point but it also means that we have to be honest and we have to step away from what the producer is going to tell us and and use our own judgment and we have to be able to taste and and discern and discuss and and we do that and and that's where the 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 sort of analysis that we provide has to matter because we if it was just a matter of what the you know what the pr firm or the or the marketing arm of the winery puts on the label well then you know everyone is fucked like no one they're all going to claim their wine is the greatest because that's what marketing is. And and our job is to to separate, you know, to sort through all that and to say, okay, sure, they might tell you that, but here is what our considered presumably unbiased opinion is. And it may be that wine X is more complex than wine Y. And if that matters to you, then maybe you should buy wine X and not wine Y. And if it doesn't matter to you, then buy whatever you want. Or if wine X is twice as much, maybe the complexity doesn't matter as much to you. And that's totally fine too. Again, I'm not here telling people what they should or shouldn't value in, in wine or beer or spirits. It's just there are differences and it's important to note them. So in your day-to-day life, do you drink more simple wine or more complex wine, Zach? That's a really good question. I, I really, I find that I really vacillate. Like we opened last night, I opened a, a very, I think a relatively straightforward bottle of Cote d'Aron. 
because um, we were making hamburgers and that's a wine I love with that. And I wouldn't want a more complex wine um, with with burgers because I don't think it really makes sense. I, I, I want to be able to kind of have something that is going to go with the dish and is going to be, uh, you know, fun and has a sort of uh, that generic fruitiness that Erica was talking about. But there are other times when, yeah, I want to sit and contemplate. And I, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm not a good, uh, I'm not a good uh, sort of archetype or a good, um, you know, sort of example in this category because I have a, a, a wine buying problem and I have like <laughs> a lot of it. And I, and I like to buy complex wines because I like to age wines. But, but I think that, again, even then, you know, oftentimes what I'm in the mood for is something relatively straightforward. You know, if we're having a glass of wine and we're going to sit outside on our deck and like look at other people from a, far a safe distance then like sometimes i just want something simple and and we have plenty of those bottles around too erica i mean i totally go back and forth i sometimes i want uh something with that's just refreshing and light and that might be that vermouth with some soda water and then other times i really want to dive into uh you know an aged wine like i had um even earlier this week i had a uh, 2010 um, uh, a Bordeaux. It was like a, you know, it was from not a really well-known estate. And this was a Bordeaux that I got for like 25 bucks. So it was, um, you know, not super noteworthy, probably not that many people know about it, but it had these really fascinating, more gamey sort of characteristics that, you know, I had made this, um, uh, this pork roast. And I thought like, oh, well, whatever, I'll, you know, open this bottle. And it was just so cool. Like how all of like the forest floor notes and, you know, all of these more tertiary characteristics of this wine um, really complemented this roast that I had made. So I think that there's like context, right? If like at the end of the day, I might be looking for something kind of, you know, fruity or light or refreshing. But then if I've spent time on a meal, like maybe I'm looking for something a little more complex. I dig. I dig. So then basically what about what, you, Adam? What about you? What are you drinking? I mean, right now, whiskey straight to my face. But um <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, for the most part, God. I would say if on the weekend with like good friends before the quarantine, it was, you know, it was dinner party wines and we'd probably start with something a little more simple when people got there and then we would move to a complex wine for dinner, for sure. But I mean, I think when we entertain, we try to have wines that we want people to think about because I think those are, you know, we've sort of become known as the couple that like out of our friends is really into wine and people get to try really cool stuff with us. So like we will probably open more complex things and more entertaining than we would simple wines, if that makes sense. But like when it's just Naomi and I and we're like about to watch Tiger King, like <laughs> then, you know, I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with like a very delicious, you know, Beaujolais or even like some of the rosés that we tried in the, in the rosé roundup, right? Like completely agree. Um, I just, I prefer to usually talk about them as just like, again, you know, not cheap and cheerful, but you know, easy, easy drinking just because again, like I've always been trying to avoid using a word that anyone could take an insult by, right? So that's been like, since I, since I got into drinks in general, drinks and food, like I've always been very conscious of that. Cause I've never wanted to be like, Oh, um, at our book club, for example, like a lot of people bring wines that are easier, right? But if I was like, oh, I love this wine. It's, it's a really like nice, simple wine. I know the person I say that to will take offense to it. Even though everything you guys are saying is completely valid, there's the, there are these words in our vocabulary that people just find to be insulting. 
um, whether they're meant that way or not, right? Like we could completely mean them positively. It's just the the person on the other side, the only interpretation they can hear is like that idea, especially with this word of like being a simpleton or being, and that that's never been a very positive word to most people. Um, so I've tried to avoid them, but like, you know, I, I do like wines that are easier to drink more often than not because I'm thinking about way too much shit every day. And, like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to sit and fucking double decant a wine and then, you know, slowly drink through it and contemplate it every night. That's just like not what I want to do. I want something that's delicious and will help me take the edge off and I can enjoy with my partner and not worry about, you know, having to dissect if I can get the specific terroir the fucking vine was grown in or take 25 steps to make a cocktail, um, you know, which is why I like Negronis. Like to me, Negronis are a very complex yet simple cocktail because they're very simple to make. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's that's how I, I go down in a nutshell. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking back to conversations that I've had with with winemaker friends, um, I think one thing that I do hear them say a lot about their wines that are at the under, let's say, 10 to 12 dollar level is I hear them describe them to me as um, solid. These are really solid wines. These provide a great value at the price point. So I think when they are thinking about their wines, it is different, like to your point about um, the marketing department kind of positions them as like the cheap and cheerful and all that. Um, but they, I think they are thinking about them in terms of the relative value in a certain category and then trying to make the best, you know, maybe fullest flavored or kind of, you know, most uh, that delivers the most of something, whatever that goal is to, um, to the customer in that price point. So I, I do think that they're thinking about, you know, maybe not in terms of simple, but in terms of what's the best value what's the best wine we can produce given that we are trying to hit a $10 price point. Totally agreed. Um, guys, it's a fun discussion. Um, we haven't gotten to have like a good little debate in, in a few weeks given all the COVID shit. So this was fun. Um, so yeah, guys, uh, thanks again for listening to everyone out there. If you enjoy the podcast, drop us a line, give us a review, give us a star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and Zach and Erica, please stay safe. Uh, continue to drink complex or simple wines, whatever you prefer and cocktails and beer. And I'll see you both here uh, next week. Sounds great. See you then. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, Please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.